0: Are we doing all right? Are we just about warm enough? Good news. I think it's this week that the boiler appears. I'm looking at Tijan. Does the boiler come this week? Yes. Come on. We got there. So that's good, isn't it? Um, It's a privilege just to be able to share for a few moments on this amazing passage. Um, Last week, we had Andrew, as you've heard, speaking on the theme of healing and encouraging us to uh, keep persevering in praying for healing. And so we'd like to do that. So Sarita, we'd like to pray for the other 50% this morning. And if you need prayer for healing for anything this morning, please make yourself known to someone. We'd love to continue in that. But today, um, as we kind of begin Lent season, I want to go to the cross and I want to speak on the theme of reconciliation Uh, in a divided world. Reconciliation, a theme that is enduringly relevant because life is made up of relationship. It's the currency of all that we do, really. Uh, We're going to look at the cross and how the cross of Christ brings about the possibility of reconciliation like nothing else can. Is that all right? It will have to be, because that's what we're doing. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your words. We thank you that your spirit is here. And we pray now that we would have hearts that are open to you. Holy Spirit, come and speak to each one of us where we're at this morning, individually. Thank you that you do that. You love to speak. And we welcome you here. Amen. Well, it's true, isn't it, that as human beings, we love to be together. If you're an introvert, you might not be quite so sure, but generally speaking, we know that we were made for relationships, we were made to be in community together, we were wired to be connected. And this week has been half-term for some, and at the beginning of the week, some old friends we knew when we lived in Ealing came to visit with their three kids who now live in Wales, so we don't get to see them very often. And to spend 24 hours with these friends was just wonderful. We had a fun breakfast together. We headed up to the Horniman Museum and uh, enjoyed all the good things there. We came back for a delicious lunch, took to the took the kids to the park, then me and the other dad managed to sneak to the pub and watch England beat Wales. Uh, if you see Mike around, do remind him that England beat Wales in the rugby uh, before coming back for some food. And I remember thinking at the end of that day, that 24 hours together, my heart is full. And it's no surprise, is it? Because the Bible tells us again and again, over and over, that we were created for community, And relationship and yet one of the paradoxes of life is that whilst we long for community too often we find ourselves in a divided world. We have a natural propensity within us to go from us to us and them. If you've uh, ever worked in an office or in fact in many work environments you'll have noticed the just the tendency for cliques to appear for gossiping to arise, almost like it can't be helped. Uh, If you've ever lived in shared housing, arguments about the washing up are a rite of passage. Think of most famous bands. They reach success and then they have a dramatic fallout. In the history of any nation, somewhere is found the story of conflict and prioritizing one group of people over another group of people. Even with our friends, we have the concept of frenemies. And in the online world, perhaps this is seen most often, we see left v right, progressive versus conservative, woke versus anti-woke versus I've just woken up, I don't really know what's going on. It's very confusing. On both the macro and micro level, it hurts. Division hurts. Rejection, exclusion, accusation, and the brokenness that so often characterizes our relationships, hurts. Maybe you're going through something like that at the moment. David writes in Psalm 133, how wonderful and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters live together in unity or in harmony. And it's true, isn't it? Imagine a world where there is no division. Just imagine it for a second. Where we were in Harmony in all our relationships all the time. Imagine the time we would save at getting angry at people. What would we have to talk about? Maybe we'd start talking about some more positive things. I don't know. The stress that we wouldn't need to carry. Oh, imagine it in our marriages, in our families, with our colleagues at work, with our neighbors, in our local community. Imagine a church in perfect harmony and unity. What a thought. To extend it wider, imagine how great it would be if there was truly justice in the world. That there really was an end to racism in all forms, discrimination in all forms. Wow, that would be like heaven come to earth. How great would that be? And you know, God is on the move. The great move of God in human history and what God is doing today and invites us to join in with is this movement towards harmony, this movement towards reconciliation. It's a great move of God to take us from us and them to us. And that's what we see in the cross. And that's what this passage is all about this morning. We're in Ephesians, if you want to have it open in front of you, that might be helpful, on your smartphone, or we've got paper copies just over there. Ephesians is a book that expands our minds and scales out to the big picture of what the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus has done in the spiritual realm. And here in Ephesians 2, to 22, it's as if Paul wants us to imagine the cross, And the cross points us, we've got a cross here we can look at, the cross points us to two great movements of reconciliation that God is working in our lives. If we imagine the first beam of the cross, it's the vertical beam, and it points to the foundational relationship we were all designed for, our relationship with God. Through the cross, we have been reconciled to God. In verse 12, Paul writes, in those days, you were living apart from Christ. You lived in this world without God and without hope. But now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. God's original plan for you was daily intimacy. In Genesis 1 and 2, we get this picture of Adam and Eve walking in the cool of the evening with the Lord. When it says that, I imagine being somewhere kind of far away from here at the moment, on holiday, somewhere sunny, and you perhaps take a walk before going for an evening meal. It's that kind of relationship that we are invited to. And one of the main things that sin does as it comes into the world is it separates One of the main aims of the enemy in your life is to isolate. God is always trying to bring us together. The enemy is always trying to isolate us and get us on our own. So that's why actually coming to church and committing to being with others is an act of resistance against the enemy in your life. So sin comes, and without Jesus, we're separate from God. There's a blockage Paul puts it like this in verse 12. You are without God and without hope in the world. The two go together for Paul. We need to know God and his love in our lives for there to be hope for the future. It's a little bit like a flower needs to be dug into the ground, have roots in the soil. If it's not, it's not alive. It's not going to bear much fruit. It's not going to be what it was designed to be. It's the same with us. It's our relationship with God that brings hope. And ever since sin entered the world, God has been at work fighting to win us back into that intimate relationship. That's the story of the scriptures through Abraham, through Moses, through the prophets. God calling his people back to him. One of the refrains we hear the prophets say again and again, return, return, return to the Lord. Come back to me. Bring your hearts back to me. In Luke 15, Jesus reveals the heart of God, and he tells three little stories. He talks of a woman who goes looking for a coin, and he says, God is like that woman. And he talks of a a shepherd going after the sheep, and he says, God is like that shepherd. And then he talks about a father that runs after his son who has rejected him, and he says, God is like that father. He's always saying, come to me. He's always calling us back into relationship. And on the cross, ultimately, we see the lengths that God would go to to bring you into relationship with him. This is how much I love you. And I love that phrase we had in verse 13. Paul says, we have been brought near. See, God is not inviting us to any old relationship, but to intimacy, to closeness. It reminds me of my daughter's who know that all they need do is lift up their arms and I'll put them up in my arms. And I'll nuzzle their often snotty little faces up into my nose. I'll feel their breath on my face, probably passing on whatever bug is going around at the moment. But it's a moment of unconditional love. And that is what we are invited into in the cross. That love perhaps could be the same love that's experienced by two close Friends, that's the kind of intimacy our father has won for us through the cross. We have been brought near, Paul says. And as we live in the father's love, what happens is we know his power, his presence in our lives, and we begin to grow up and we begin to become healthy and find healing, and we become the people that God created us to be. So, my first question this morning is I wonder how things are between you and the Lord. How is it walking with the Lord? If you're not a Christian, the invitation is to come. Just come to me. Just say yes to me. I've done it all. And if you are a Christian, the invitation is to come closer. Come closer. God is always inviting us to a daily intimacy with him. To know his wisdom, yes. His guidance, yes. But more than anything, to know him as a father and to know the depths of his love. And practically, this means making time, making time to spiritually lift up our hands in prayer and allow our Father to pick us up and to fill us with his Spirit. So that's the great, first great move of reconciliation God is working in our lives, the vertical one. And then the second beam on the cross is horizontal, and it points to the unity that Christ has brought between all peoples in his death and resurrection. In verse 14, we read this, "'For Christ himself has brought peace to us. "'He united Jews and Gentiles into one people, "'when in his own body on the cross, "'he broke down the wall of hostility that separates us.'" We have been made into one people, Paul says. Any identity we have, may have holden onto in the past falls away. Why? Because we are one in Christ, We are one family. So look around this morning. Just look around. This is your primary family, if you're a Christian. If you're not a Christian, maybe you're weighing up. Do I really want to be part of this family? This is your family. And the thing is, with families, we may not always agree. We're not all the same. We're beautifully diverse. Look at us. We're a beautifully diverse bunch, but we're united in Christ, and we're united in our love For one another. It's a bit like a mosaic. You get all these different uh, bits of ceramic and clay and stone coming together from different parts, but as they come together, it creates something beautiful. That is the church. And in a couple of chapters on from Ephesians 2 and Ephesians 4, verse 3, Paul says, "'Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace.'" So what Paul is saying is that unity is a gift of the Holy Spirit. As we gather, His Spirit dwells amongst us and within us and brings us together. We're all from different backgrounds, beliefs, ages and stages. And yet there's this is wonderful unity that appears because the Spirit is here. But Paul also says you have to work for that unity because actually community is really hard. It's probably not a surprise to you. And I believe that God is doing something really special in this church. It's wonderful to hear stories of God at work this morning and to be on Alpha and to be part of what God is doing in people's lives. He's doing incredible things. But, you know, one of the things that the enemy will try and do to stop it is to bring disunity. Divide and conquer is the oldest trick in the book. So let's be wise to it. If there's something between you and someone else, then can I encourage you to make every effort to keep unity. What that means is go and talk to them if you need to talk to them. Or forgive them and release blessing over them and move on. The key thing is do not let bitterness and unforgiveness harbor. Really, really important. Because it will eat you up and it will make life miserable for everyone. So deal with it. Is that okay? Let's be a church that makes every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. So back to Ephesians 2. Paul says that through the cross, Jesus has brought together Jew and Gentile. In Paul's day, there was no more obvious two groups of us and them than Jew and Gentile. The Jews despised the Gentiles. They lived separately for thousands of years. Physically, this separation was obvious There were areas of the city where Jews could go and Gentiles could not go. Jews could access the temple, Gentiles could not. They did not eat together. So when we consider the cultural background, we see how radical the unity of the cross is. In the early church, when Jews and Gentiles, men and women, slaves and their owners started eating together around a table, that was absolutely wild in that culture it was so provocative. Something new and beautiful was happening that Jesus had done as he created this thing, this body, this community called the church. We read in verse 14, for he, that is Jesus himself, is our peace, who has made the two groups one. He has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose Paul says, was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, which put to death their hostility. He came and preached what? He came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Paul says that Jesus has destroyed the dividing wall, anything that might separate us from each other. And it's a little bit like this. From 1961 to 1989, the Berlin Wall divided Germany's capital. Communist East was to be separate from capitalist West. And it was a wall that caused untold pain. It separated friends, family, partners, communities for 30 years And yet after political negotiation, protests, and mass prayer gatherings and marches from Christians in the city, on the 9th of November, 1989, the wall fell. And when it fell, those from the east came through the wall and were greeted with flowers and champagne and celebrations that lasted for days. No more did the old identity stand, there was now one people. On the cross... Jesus has broken any dividing wall that may separate us. We have one Father, and we are filled with one Spirit, the same Spirit. What does this mean for us? It means, firstly, that we belong. Whoever we are, whatever we've done, whatever our background or ethnicity or age or stage, church is for you. We live in a community where we can genuinely belong, and when we genuinely belong in community together, it's extremely powerful in our lives. Brene Brown uh, said this, if we could have the quote on the screen. Uh, A deep sense of love and belonging is an irreducible need for all people. We are biologically, cognitively, physically, and spiritually wired to love, to be loved, and to belong. When those needs are not met, we don't function as we were meant to. We break, we fall apart, we numb, we ache, we hurt others, and we get sick. We need community, and Christ, in his death, has brought us into a beautiful community, the community of the church. One of our values here at Holy Trinity is that it feels like family to be together. We want to be a genuine community. We want to be a place where we can make friends, that we do life together, where we laugh together, where we cry together, where we are one. So firstly, we belong And then secondly, we are called to partner with God in the work of reconciliation and unity because that's what the Father does. And if that's what the Father does, that's what we do. His business is our business. And so really the church should be a picture of what the world will be when Christ comes, the kingdom comes in fullness. Every nation and tribe as one. Where do we have the opportunity to pursue reconciliation, peace, community, and belonging in our daily lives? In our workplaces, in our schools, in our unis, in our local area. And as I really do come into land, I want to just offer four tips that I found really helpful in pursuing unity. Uh, so firstly, be quick to say sorry And these are all in the Bible as well. It's not like I've invented them. Um, Be quick to say sorry and be quick to forgive. Uh, Someone, when we were doing marriage prep, said if you follow this advice, it will save you a lot of trouble. And uh, I have found that to be very true. But it's true in any relationship. Don't hold grudges. Be quick to say sorry, quick to forgive. Give people the benefit of the doubt. Be generous in the way that we see people. We never know the full story of what's going on in someone else's life. Okay, secondly, be inquisitive. A little while ago, I went to an event by a charity called Bridge Builders. And um, as the name suggests, the charity is set up to help organizations that are having disputes where there is disunity. And um, the number one piece of advice this person gave to heal conflict was to be inquisitive. To be inquisitive about what the other person might be thinking. To be inquisitive about how they may be feeling, how they may see things. It's extremely powerful. Thirdly, be patient. Just imagine if we did this in the online world. We see something on social media we disagree with or we receive a, a difficult email. Imagine if we just paused. We considered the face of the other person remembered that they were dearly loved, they're a child of God, how might that change our response? And then fourthly, be generous. If you try holding a grudge against someone who's really generous to you, it's actually very difficult. Uh, When someone is generous with their money, their time, someone takes you out for lunch, when someone listens to you, when someone's generous with their words and encourages you, it feeds the relationship with acts of love. So be generous. Generous. So we finish by just looking at the cross. We see the vertical beam. We're reminded of the love of the Father. The cross shows us the lengths God would go to to win us back to Him. Through the cross, God has removed the barrier of sin. Whoever we are, we are welcome into intimacy with Him. As a toddler snuggles into the embrace of her father, we are invited into the embrace of God. And we see the horizontal beam, the invitation to love others. As God forgives and extends grace to us, we do the same. We carry the family business of reconciliation. We pursue reconciliation and unity, togetherness and belonging with all its joys and challenges. Amen. Amen. Shall we stand?